The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The Sixth Part I take the bus in the end. I can't face going underground after reading the story Megan gave me. The machinery of my mind has jammed. I can't think right. And my stomach is churning. All I can picture is a nest of hair there, a boiling eyeball nestled in the middle of it like an egg. I feel like she's inside me, and it's all I can do to stop myself clawing my own skin away and hurling it into the night. When I reach my house, I don't go in. I stand outside it for ten minutes, looking at every inch of it, at every brick and window pane and tile. It looks the same as it always has, but it looks different, too. I can't even explain how. I know that this is not my house. Not really. I know that this is not my world anymore. Something has shifted. I am on the outside of it. It's quiet when I walk through the front door, but it's past ten so Donnie will be asleep and Mom will be in bed, probably furious that I've been gone all day without so much as a text. I wait in the hallway for a moment. I wait for the squeak of flesh in the bath, but there's nothing. I head upstairs, creeping into the twilight dark of the landing. My door's closed, although I don't remember doing it. Donnie's is too. And for once, he's turned off his Xbox. Mom's door is open, and when I peek inside, I see her shape beneath the covers, the steady rise and fall of her chest. I want to crawl beneath the quilt with her the way I did when I was younger, the way I did when I had the witch dreams. And I might still, only I reek of sweat and vomit, and I'm still shivering hard. The bathroom's been cleaned. I don't know why, because mom hardly ever does it. She's missed a strand of hair dangling from the tub faucet, though, and the sight of it hanging there is almost enough to make me vomit again. I pee, then strip, washing my face in warm water, brushing my teeth for what has to be ten full minutes. Even then, I've still got the taste of meat on my tongue. I seem to have shrunk. It's a stupid thing to say, but that's the first thing I think when I look at myself in the mirror. When I really look at myself. I seem smaller, like somebody has folded in the corners. I'm not even sure. I jump so hard I think I've pulled my flesh off the bones, and I turn to see nothing there. Absolutely nothing, except that little dangling thread of black hair is sliding back up the faucet. Getting smaller, smaller until the last of it disappears. The bath is just a bath, is just a bath, is just a bath. 
and I'm repeating it to myself as I back out of the bathroom and close the door behind me. I don't want to know what I will see if I open my bedroom door. I literally cannot force myself to do it. I grab mom's bathrobe from the back of her door and walk back downstairs. And it's only when I reach the kitchen door that I hear a voice inside. It's light in there. Had they been on when I came home? It's pooling on the floor in front of the door, but it's not open enough for me to see all the way in. I'm torn between the urge to throw myself through to see who's there and the need to get the hell out of this house as fast as possible so I never have to know. I wonder how long I can keep walking before I just can't walk anymore. He's here for you. The voice is louder now, and I recognize it. It's mom. So slow. She won't be. I push the door, watch it swing open, see the kitchen unfold before me like a book. It is mom. She's standing by the island and she's completely naked, apart from a towel wrapped around her head. Strands of hair hang down from it, water dripping down the fleshy skin of her back. She's cupping her hand over the counter, collecting breadcrumbs. And I can't see who she's talking to because the far side of the room is drenched in darkness. That's her now. Mom? She turns to me. Her head turns to me. But her face takes a moment to slide into place, like a lazy eye. What's wrong? Are you okay? No. My fists are aching again because they're bunched at my sides. I can feel my nails in my palms. No, I'm not fucking okay, Mom. What's going on? She looks to the far side of the kitchen again, and I try to do the same. But the space is wrong there. It makes my head pound if I stare too long. I can see that the light is on. I can see the halogen bulb blazing. But it's not working. It's as if there's a power cut in that tiny part of the house. It's as if somebody has taken a pair of scissors and snipped a chunk of the world away. There's a shape there, though. I force myself to see it. And when I do, I see that it's a young man. It's Tanner. What's going on? What's he doing here? Mom walks toward me, working her hands over her stomach like she's tightening something. And I realize she's tightening her robe. Only she can't because I'm wearing it. It sits on me like a dead woman's skin. Your problem, you sort it. She passes me. Nothing loud, Tommy. Your brother's asleep. I watch her go. I watch the obscene, ludicrous, maddening shape of her jiggle up the stairs. I hear her go into her bedroom and close the door behind her. I hear the squeak of her bed as she climbs in. As she climbs in beside whatever else is in there, its breath rising and falling beneath the covers. Then I turn back to Tanner. He's sitting on the other side of the island. I can only see his outline, and his smile, and the glint of his eyes as he moves his head. But then he leans forward, and more of him is drawn from the dark. He's wearing the same black shirt as the girl in Outcast, buttoned up to the neck. His hair is as perfect as it is in his photographs. What are you doing here? What did you do to my mom? That's right. I clamp my hands to my ears because there's something terrible about his voice. Something utterly, awfully wrong. 
I can't bear it. I can't bear to listen to him, but he's speaking again, and the words are driving themselves into my skull like ice picks, like nothing I've ever heard in my life. That I'm wheezing like I've been gut-punched, his words twisting my mind into impossible knots. It's too hard for me to look at him, at the growing darkness behind him. What do you want? What's going on? There's a sharp, popping sound from behind him, a hiss of air. The room tilts, like we're on a ship, and even though nothing's really moving, I'm staggering forward, falling into the island. Tanner throws his head back, his mouth open too wide, only silence pouring out of it. There's movement in the shadows behind him, I'm sure of it. He grabs the countertop and pulls himself forward, jutting his head toward me like he's a drowning man looking for the surface of the lake. He must find it, because when he speaks again, his voice is his own. Her game. She forces you to play it. But you can't win. I won't play. I won't. It's... Too late. His face is elastic, stretching into a mourning mask. You already are. You only have to read one word, and it's too late. You only have to have her name breathed in your ear, and it's too late. You only have to think of her... And it's too late. She knows you, Tommy. She sees you. I'm a sculpture of ice. I cannot move. Tanner struggling even more. The darkness is moving over him like dark water. It's swallowing him up. She sees you. You're already playing her game. You know you are. She's poison. She's poison. When she sees you, it is like everything you are, everything you know, it starts to rot. It rots. It will never stop. And then... The darkness wraps itself around his chest, around his stomach, less like water now and more like arms, like a giant's embrace. And it's then that I see it, hovering in the night above the boy, a grinning face, too big to be real, hunched beneath the ceiling right beneath the light but still caked in shadows and filth. He utters a bovine cry, the lowing groan of a cow on the path to slaughter. What do I do? I ask, but I can't speak. The words are locked in my throat. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But he hears me. Thank God he hears me. Find her. Use the stories. It's what Kara was trying to do. Find her. Find her! Close! 
her eyes. The shadows move over his mouth, swallow his face, but he screams through them. Snow, 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 snow. And the not quite face behind him grins its moon grin and pulls him closer, closer. The house vibrates. A silent explosion as Tanner is sucked away from me, as that awful face is sucked away, all of it wrenched into the darkness at the end of the room. I can feel the current of air trying to chase him, my ears popping from the change in pressure. There's a sound like scattered marbles, then the kitchen lights burn sun bright, and I have to shutter my eyes against the glow, wrapping my arms around my head, only looking when I think I can feel the witch's breath on my face. Only looking when I can feel her grinning at me. Only looking then, and seeing nothing but the kitchen. (sighs) There's nothing there but the kitchen. I'm on sea legs as I walk around the island, clinging onto it to stop myself from falling. There's just a wall there, our notice board, and that weird stain I thought was dry rot. It makes sense now, the shape of it. It's Tanner's shape. I can even see his hair in it. It's the shape he made when the witch pulled him through the wall. I take another step, wincing as something cuts into my foot. It's dug itself into the flesh of my heel, and when I pull it out, I see that it's a tooth. A fat, yellow molar with a horn-like root. There are more. There are dozens of them. Dozens of Tanner's teeth scattered on the floor. Like dice. I'm in shock. I have to be because I'm utterly numb. Something's been switched off inside my head. A circuit board being tripped to prevent massive damage. I'm not even aware that I'm me, that I'm back in my home, that I'm on my knees collecting teeth in a teacup because I'm suddenly back. My knees sore. My fingertips greasy from the plaque. I don't stop. I crawl across the entire kitchen, front to back, side to side, until every last one of those yellow teeth has plinked into the cup. When I'm done, I stare at them, and I'm possessed by a thought. The thought of putting that cup to my lips and drinking them down. Maybe they'll mix with the hair inside me. Maybe sooner or later there will be a whole person inside my stomach clawing its way out. (laughs) My thoughts are rotting. My life is rotting. And it's her fault. The witch. It's utterly insane, but somehow she's found her way inside this little pocket of reality. She's plucking at the stitches. I think of Kara. Poor Kara Pierce sitting in her bedroom, pouring through story after story after story, trying to find a clue, trying to find something that could help her. Her world would have been unraveling too, coming apart at the seams. I think of the photograph I saw of her sitting at her desk, her bed behind her, something pushing up beneath the covers. I know now that if I looked at the photo again, I'd still see it. I'd see those crooked fingers. Maybe an eye boiling out of the darkness. I'd see it because it is real. It is real. And I know you don't believe me, but it doesn't matter 
because you will. When she sits down behind you, you'll believe me. Look now, she might already be there. There's something almost comforting in belief, any belief, even this one. I know she's real, and I know what I have to do. I try to stand, but my legs are too weak. I use a stool to help me up, then perch on the edge of it, placing the cup of teeth on the surface of the island. The conversation with Tanner is draining out of my head like dark water, and I can't remember the awful sound of his voice, but I try to make a mental note of what he'd said. Find her. Use the stories. <laughs> Maybe there's something in those stories that will tell me what to do when I find her, too. I dump the teeth in the trash, even though it feels wrong to do it. They sit there in the liquid waste of Mom's dinner, and I bunch up some paper towels to throw on top. The house is still appallingly quiet. I can't even hear the sound of my own footsteps as I climb the stairs. As I get to the top, though, I can hear music coming from Donnie's room, the soundtrack of one of his games. He's shouting at it. My door is open. There's a sound coming out of there, too. The clack-clack-clack of somebody typing on a laptop. I wait there, on the penultimate step. I wait for it to stop. And when it doesn't, I creep to the door and peer through the crack. There's a bathrobe hanging on the back of it, but I can see a fraction of my bed through the crack. It looks almost like there's something on it. Something big. Something that slowly starts to turn toward me. The sound of typing stops, but I can hear the tinny beat of Metallica coming through headphones, and I know that if I walk through that door, I will see myself. I'll see the version of me that doesn't have a face. So I turn and walk downstairs again, walk into the living room and turn on all the lights. I crash onto the sofa, curl my legs beneath myself, fix my eyes on the living room door, the front door beyond that. I will wait for morning, for the day. I won't sleep, in case I wake up to somebody sitting on my chest, or wake in the dark to the feeling of cold flesh pressed against mine, a whisper in my ear. Do you know where I am? It's already past eleven. Time is running on greased wheels. Morning isn't too far away, and I can stay awake. And that thought is still in my head when I stir to the sound of voices from upstairs. The hallway outside the living room is pitch black, even though I know I left the light on. I can hear somebody shouting above me, and I know what's going to happen before it does. Donnie's running down the stairs, and he's yelling something. I got it. Wait, Donnie, hang on. He's shouting my words from his mouth, and he's there, at the front door, hand to the latch. He stops moving completely, a photograph. Even though it's dark through there, his shadow is splayed across the living room carpet, as if thrown there by sunlight. It's not real, I tell myself. It is real, I say. I can hear a sound like Velcro, something tearing. Donnie is gagging, but I don't go to him, I don't dare. There's a brittle crack, and then a soft cheep as something pulls itself from Donnie's mouth. It 
flaps its wings, fluttering to the top of my brother's head and sitting there for a moment. The bird's head tilts, its dark eyes studying me. I wonder if it's a skylark. Then it's flying into the living room, panicked, its little brown body hitting the window hard. It drops to the floor, twitching still. When I look again, Donnie has gone, but his shadow is still there, still reaching for the door. It's there until the first fingers of sunlight push through the window and scrub it away. The day rouses me, even though I don't think I've really been asleep. My body aches from sitting upright. My eyes ache from never closing. My mind is straight-jacket tight, padded and vague. The cannonball of terror sits on my diaphragm, but it's lighter now for the sound of the birds. They're in full flow outside, but the one lying on the floor in front of the window hasn't moved once. It's never going to sing again. I haul myself off the sofa, everything cracking as I bend down and pick the bird up by its feet. How can something weigh so little? Its eyes are still open, its neck bent at right angles. I'm sorry, I say, carrying it through to the kitchen. I lift the paper towel, toss it on top of the teeth, covering the whole still life and madness up with more towel. Tanner's stain stares at me from the wall. My cell is dead, but there's a charger in here, and I plug it in. Then I clean the coffee filter and make a fresh pot, doing my best to ignore the lump of fingertip that has returned to the sink. Seeing it makes my own hand ache, my right middle finger throbbing in sympathy. Upstairs, Donnie still shouts at his Xbox from behind a closed door. I open it, but he has his back to me, and when I call his name, he doesn't respond. I'm too afraid to see what he looks like when he turns around, so I leave him, walking past mom's room to the bathroom. I'm pretty sure I've never peed so quickly, but there's no squeaks and splashes, no nests of hair sitting on the bottom of the bath. There's nobody in my room, but my laptop still sits open on the bed, and there's still music coming out of the headphones. I wrench the curtains open, switch on the lights, place my chair in front of the door to stop it from clicking closed. Wrapping mom's bathrobe around me, I climb under my covers, then climb out of them again because I'm thinking about Kara's photo. I sit cross-legged on the bed and pull my computer onto my lap and jab the space bar until it comes back to life. I'm surprised to see my Facebook page is open. There's a whole bunch of notifications and I click them, all likes and comments for a photo. What's wrong, Tommy? Shit, dude, you look stoned. And hanging out with Flint again? Tommy? This last one from Flint. She's sent a message, too, but I ignore it and click on the photo that I have no memory of posting. Of course I have no memory of it. It's a photo of me, sitting on the sofa in the living room, dressed in mom's bathrobe. I'm awake and staring almost but not quite right at the camera. And there's a look on my face of... I can't describe it. It's like terror, but something more. Something more profound than terror. 
My shadow is drawn on the wall behind me, merged with my hair. There's no gap between the wall and the sofa, but right there, inside the darkness of my shadow, I can see her. I can see that red flecked eye, that yellow grin. You bitch. I click the window closed. You fucking bitch. I load up another tab, finding creepy.com. Kara's profile is still there. Nothing has changed. Those highlighted stories stare back at me, and the comments make a hell of a lot more sense now. I click on the only one that I haven't read yet. The tube game. It's still a dead link. If Tanner was right, and let's face it, that's a big if, then I need to get hold of it, and of any other story that might be able to help. I Google the title, but there's just cached links to the site, none of which work. I check on Kara's Facebook page, too, in case she linked to anything from there. No luck. The image that's on all of her photos is a little clearer now, I think. A little more in focus, but I still can't tell what it is. I push my fingers into my eyes, until my thoughts ignite into fireworks. All I can hear is Donnie next door, Mom running down the stairs, a flap of wings and the thump of a little body on glass. And this last sound makes me open my eyes again. The Skylark is back, freshly dead, twitching on my bedroom carpet. I refuse to let myself see it, the same way I refuse to let myself see the lump of shadow that appears in the corridor outside, staring at me through the crack in my door, breathing hard. I stare at the screen instead, my skin electric with fear, with paranoia. Rot, I think. Reality is rotting around me, that's all this is. I find my way back to creepy.com. There must be over a thousand stories on the site, including mine. But how do I know which ones to read? How do I know which ones are important? The stories that Kara liked are completely different from each other. Just a handful of similarities that I wouldn't have even noticed if I wasn't looking out for them. Kara had dozens of them printed out. So maybe she found the missing ones, or printed them before they disappeared. If only there was a way of finding out. And there is, I suddenly realize, digging my hand into the pocket of Mom's robe, feeling the business card there. When I pull it out, it's wet and yellow, the ink running in half a dozen places. There's also a ribbon of dark hair wrapped around it, tight enough to have cut through the paper. It looks like it's been floating in a lake somewhere for weeks, and maybe it has. Time doesn't seem to mean anything anymore. I have to go downstairs to fetch my phone. I don't look at the figure who's outside my door, even though I have to angle my body to the side to squeeze past it, even though I can feel the cold weight of it against me, pushing into me. My head is down as I walk into the kitchen, as I unplug the charger. There's somebody in here with me, standing at the sink, the squeak of a finger as it traces the plug hole. But I don't look. I just dial the number on the card with shaking fingers, listen to it ring, and ring, and ring. He won't answer. I hear her suck the end of her finger, and ring, and ring. Please. He read the stories too, those awful things. 
He read about the witch, and now he's playing her game whether he wants to or not. And ring. It clicks to an answering machine. Cyrus's voice from another world. I end the call and stand there. Stand there doing nothing because I can't think of a single thing to do. I stand there for a lifetime, until the cell kicks in my hand and I scream. I think it's bitten me. I almost drop it, but it's a call and I answer it without even looking at the number. Hello? There's nobody there. Nothing but a breath, haggard and wheezing. Hello? Detective Cyrus? Mom's walking toward me. I can see her out of the corner of my eye. Slow, deliberate steps. The breath on the end of the line continues. I just want to hang up, but I can't face the thought of being alone with the not-mom who's standing by my side, who's leaning in. She's breathing hard, too, and I understand it's her breaths I'm hearing on the phone, playing in stereo. He won't speak. He doesn't dare. Please, I say to her, to the person on the phone, I don't even know anymore. He's too slow. Please! Crackling, then a faint voice. Hello? Detective Cyrus? Mom's lips are almost on my face. She stinks of meat. He's too slow. But this time I hear it. A man's voice. Hello? Oh, God. Thank God. Is that you? Are you real? Who is this? What do you want? Mom licks my cheek and I grunt, pulling away, hunkering down onto my haunches, hands cradling my head. I can still see her bare feet there, spattered with blood. I can see a tooth, too, under the oven, one that I missed last night. I need help. I need to talk to you. About Kara Pierce. The phone pops, whining like a flashbulb. I pull it away, my ear ringing, only to push it back when I hear his voice again. Who is this? Tommy Bright. Uh, Thomason. We spoke the other day, when you came to my house. I can't see Mom's feet anymore, and I risk looking. She's gone. The kitchen is empty. I stand up although it takes me a couple of attempts. If you're in on this, you're going to be in serious trouble. In on what? I nearly ask. But instead, I say, your life is rotting too, and I think he might be crying. I need the stories. The ones from Kara's house. It's the only way to beat this. To beat her. I expect him to laugh, to hang up. But he struggles through a couple of breaths, then says... I'll come to you. Don't. Don't come here. It's not safe. Meet me in the mall. The circuit. The phone pops again. Louder this time. I throw it to the floor, pressing a hand to my ear, feeling something wet on my cheek. The cheek that my not-mom licked, pulling it away to see blood smeared over my palm. The food court! I say to my phone. I only hope he heard me. He did, because he's waiting for me there, sitting right in the corner with his back to the wall. He was the younger of the two cops who came to see me the other day, but he's aged a century or more since then. 
His face is a leather mask, and there's less of his hair attached to his puckered scalp. He's jacked up, on edge, his head jerking left and right, studying anyone who comes close, so it doesn't take him long to see me. He does a double take, and I realize that he probably thinks I've aged too, that I'm a half-dead girl. Did you bring them? I ask as soon as I'm close enough. There's a table of four next to us, parents and two young kids, and they're all quiet, looking up at me like I'm an addict collecting her next fix. The fact that Cyrus grabs my hand, yanks me down into the seat opposite him, even though I was about to sit there anyway, doesn't exactly help. Hey, are you okay? Cyrus does his best to smile at the dad, flashes his badge and the butt of his pistol. The man lifts his hand in apology. Sure, no problem. But he's still looking at me like I'm in a bad place. Cyrus rubs his face with both hands, scratching his stubble. Then he flinches, snapping his hands away as if remembering what happens when he closes his eyes. You all alone, Tammy? Tommy, I say, but I'm not sure if he hears me. I'm not sure if he sees me either, because his head is still swinging left and right, left and right. Yes, I'm alone. I need your help. Did you- What's going on? He's suddenly looking right at me. His hand is on my arm again, and he won't let me pull loose. You better tell me, because I swear to God I'm this close to losing my freaking mind. You're seeing them too. I watch the family walk away, taking their food with them. When I look back at Cyrus, his swollen eyes are ready to pop clean out of their sockets. My wife gave birth last night. She wasn't pregnant, but she gave birth right there in our house. And it's sitting there. A fucking... A fucking... He's struggling to form the word. His mouth isn't obeying him. I took her to the hospital, but there's nothing wrong with her. And now there's a baby in our house, and it won't stop screaming. And they said there's nothing wrong with it, either, even though... Christ. The feathers. She's... He's hurting my arm. Cyrus. I can't remember his first name, but I bunch a fist and slam it down on the table, hard enough to jolt the condiments. Please, you need to... I don't even know what to say to him. See them too. Everything is wrong. Everything is rotten. It's her. She's doing this. He remembers himself, letting go of me. I rub at the welts he's left. I rub them away. He's staring at the table. It's a baby. Or a bird. I can't look at it long enough to see. He lets his mouth hang open, and I see that he's broken that he's already outside himself. Nothing I can say will bring him back. He sits there like a child, picking dried blood out of his long nails. I don't know what it is, exactly. A couple has sat down at the table next to us, younger than me, laughing their heads off. It's this that doesn't feel real, I think. The girls with no faces, the birds climbing out of throats, the babies with feathers. That's my new reality. Maybe it was always my reality. The world I used to be a part of, it doesn't feel like it ever really existed. All I think I know is that as soon as you read one of the stories, 
It triggers something. A game, maybe. Or a race. I don't know. It happened to Kara. She was using the stories to try to work out how to win the game. How to beat the... I can't say it. I can't say the word. But she gave up. Or she died. I don't know. But I think I understand what we have to do if we're going to survive this. Cyrus is still staring at the table. The guy at the table next to us is flicking his drink at his girlfriend with his straw. The food court is busy, people lining up at the KFC behind us. Their chatter is like waves. It's like an ocean. Close my eyes and lose myself to it for a moment. Sleep suddenly there. A leviathan trying to swallow me. Cyrus brings me back. What? It sounds crazy, but the stories Kara had, the ones she printed out and wrote on, they were clues. At least she thought they were. Clues? He wipes the spit from his lips. He looks like he's going to say something else, but it dies in his throat. Clues to find her. Clues to beat her, maybe. I, I don't know. I think he's going to ask who I'm talking about, but he must already know, because he nods his weary head and inhales a shuddering, lung-busting breath. I got our tech guys to run checks on those stories. The ones that Kara had. IP addresses and shit like that. And? He frowns at the table, brushing his fingers over it. It's covered in crumbs, I see, and I run my hand over them feeling them lodge in my palm the way spilled teeth lodge in feet. Tech says they come from all over the world. Most from regular homes like yours. Most are written by kids like you. But there were some that he couldn't trace. Or rather, some that had what he called an impossible address. Six of them, I say, thinking of the stories that Kara had commented on. But he shakes his head. More. They all had the same address. The same place of origin, but it was like nothing else he'd ever seen. He was in the middle of telling me about it when I got the call from Valentina. I... I didn't go back to work. So, the stories had, what, a different kind of IP address? They all came from the same location? Do you remember which stories? Pinch, right? And, uh, Three Dead Things? Tubby. Those ones? Right? They were all written by an unknown, right? He studies me with his bloodshot eyes, then nods. Despite everything, I smile, because some of the pieces are clicking into place. Pinch, Tubby, they were on Creepy.com, but the others were deleted. One of Kara's friends gave me three dead things, but there must be others. You have them, right? You must, if you checked where they came from. The couple next to us are nodding their heads together, like they're listening to music, still laughing. Cyrus is staring at them, his teeth clenched so tight I'm worried they might shatter. I'm worried I might have to collect them in a teacup, too. Cyrus. His head grinds back to me. You have them? They were deleted. Kara had printouts, but the tech guy worked some magic and found a trace of them on mine. That's what he couldn't understand, because they all come from the same place. Those stories. He counted dozens of them. Maybe more. But the place they were created, hosted, whatever, it, it doesn't exist. 
There's more laughter in the food court now. It's rising up behind me like this is a comedy show and that's the laugh track. There's something hideously artificial about it, but I refuse to turn around. I don't want to know what's happening back there. Cyrus looks over my shoulder and I see the flesh of his face sag like it's about to slide off the bone. Cyrus, please, the stories. She's found me. Please. I resist every urge to turn. I dig my nails into the tabletop. Please, or it's never going to end. It will end. Everything ends. He gets back to his feet, sways there for a moment. Then he reaches down to the seat and lifts a black backpack, dropping it in front of me, not looking at me. These are all I have. The rest are at the station, and there's one that's still in Kara's apartment. According to the notes Kara left behind, there's something special about it. It's the one that started this. It let me read it. Damn it to hell, but it wouldn't let me take it away. I couldn't... He opens his hand, closes it, staring at it like it belongs to a stranger. I open my mouth to thank him, but he's already walking past me. The smell of him old, wild, like a forest floor. I watch him go, but anything I might have said is swallowed up by what I see. Everyone in the food court is looking at us. No, looking at Cyrus, I see, as he staggers between the tables. They're all laughing and pointing. The wave of sound is almost liquid. It's almost enough to drown me. They don't even seem to be stopping for breath, and I can see the panic in their eyes, the roar of their airless blood. As one, they move their arms to point to another figure, one that's standing in the very center of the room. It's a woman, maybe in her mid-thirties, pretty and petite, but masked by misery, her eyes huge and dark and wet. She's dressed in pajamas, and in her arms she's holding a bundle of something that squawks a feeble cry, something that lifts a brown speckled wing beneath its swaddle. The woman opens her mouth to her husband as he approaches, but there's no words there, no sound at all. There's just that endless, soulless laughter getting louder and louder and louder. Now everybody's moving. A troop of insane dancers thumping off the tables and the chairs as they spin like dervishes. All still laughing. Still laughing. All except for Cyrus's wife. All except for Cyrus, who's reaching into his jacket and pulling out his gun, who's firing it into the crowd. I have to fight to pull myself away, grabbing the bag and running, my feet slipping on the smooth floor. Gunshots exploding behind me into a wall of screaming mirth. I run until I can't hear them anymore, until the mall is far behind me and I'm back on the street, sirens wailing. I look back, expecting to see the people on the street beside me pointing, laughing, dancing. But they are as shocked as I am, scattering with their kids, their pets, their shopping bags. This was his madness. I understand. Not mine. The witch has rotted his life, his wife. And I see it because it is real. I open the bag to see a manila folder inside, 
And inside that, I find three familiar stories and one new one. The Tube Game, added by Unknown on 11-30-2011. Then I start walking again, looking for somewhere quiet to sit and read. This book will kill you. Written by Alexander Gordon Smith. Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. This book will kill you. The sixth part. Starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright. Aaron Lillis as Tommy's mother. Jeff Clement as Lillis Tanner. Dan Zapula as Donnie. Graham Rowett as Detective Cyrus. And Mike Delgadio as the father in the food court. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, the seventh part. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc., all rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith. <laughs>